Hi, this is Steve Addison, and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Well, today you're going to hear from me sharing with a group of uh, leaders who are working through my book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. Hi, guys. We are with author Steve Addison. We've been reading his book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. I would love to hear, um, one, why you felt like you were the guy mm. to write the book, like what mm. led to that so you writing the book and then in the last couple of years, maybe even what you've been learning since writing the book, what you've been yeah. seeing, and we'll jump in with some questions. So. Well, why the book? Um, I, I was a church planter that we stumbled, Michelle and I stumbled into church planting. You know, we were part of a, like a uh, young adults worker uh, in a in a big church, and they wanted to plant a church, and no one wanted to do it. I was like an intern, and um, and then someone said, "What about Steve?" You know, <laughs> and I got the call, and 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 it was a call from God, as, as funny as that process was. But around the the second year, uh, we, we'd grown for Australia. We'd grown quite significantly to, you know, over a couple of hundred people within 12 months. And um, so as you can imagine, I was very um, pleased with myself. Uh, but God just sort of shook us and shook me. You know, we had a bit of a church fight and, you know, this is my church. First, I've, I've been an intern. I've never been a pastor before. And um, it shook me up. And I'm seeking God desperately. You know, morning after morning, rising early, reading the scriptures, praying. Um, and the Lord just spoke into my heart. Steve, it's not just about, you know, one new church. It's about a whole new generation of churches across Australia. And that's when the sort of idea of movements first, I didn't even have the term, first sort of dropped into my mind. And really that was... Um, before some of you were born, um, I think it was late, uh, late 80s. And, um, but I've been on, just the way I'm wired, I'm a reflective practitioner. So I do okay as a practitioner, but most of the time I'm living life so I can analyze it and understand it <laughs> and distill the principles and then communicate them. And so I just started a lifelong journey of trying to understand multiplying movements of disciples and churches while being a practitioner uh, all those years. And the first book came out and it was, well, I, I wrote the book, um, took a bit of time, but I wrote it. And there were, but then I discovered there were two books. So my first book came out that sort of here's the characteristics of dynamic movements in a snapshot in there. But no one lives in that snapshot, you know. Um, it's a moving target. So I also had a whole book in me about the life cycle, the rise and fall. And it waited at least 20 years to get out of me into print. And part of the reason is um, 
I understood it intuitively. I'd read a lot of the organizational stuff about life cycle. If I'd written it any earlier, it would have come out as here's a organizational principles, let's apply it to the church. And what I needed to discover is where is God in this whole process? Hmm. Um, and that's that's where I came, you know, the uh, we have a saying, the penny dropped, you know, in this sort of thing. And that moment for me was Jesus in, in his baptism and wilderness testing that this is what's driving the rise and fall of disciple-making movements. It's the degree to which we align ourselves with the life and ministry of Jesus. And as we move towards it, there's, there's a rise. As we move away from that, there's a decline and a fall, and renewal is about returning to the life and ministry of Jesus. Mm. And so that was a wonderful thing, actually. <laughs> It's like I'm reading this and I've known this passage for, I don't know, 60 years or however old I was at the time. And and just to have that aha moment and the way of seeing, you know, a, a sort of true north in the midst of all the good stuff you can learn from organisational life cycle, it's got to be more than just bureaucracy and entrepreneurs and all this sort of stuff. Um. You know, the heart of it, if, if it's not about the life and ministry of Jesus, how can it be a disciple-making movement to the glory of God? Yeah, so he's doing fine. I mean, churches are being planted. They're growing. You know, that summary statement where it says, you know, the churches in those regions were sort of growing in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Spirit, I think, something like that, and they increased in numbers every day. Um, well, that's, man, that's not bad. I'll take that. I'll bank that. But it's 10 years since Pentecost, 10 years since the Great Commission, and there's no concerted mission to the Gentiles. So this whole massive shift that's got to take place in Peter, in the apostles, the elders, the leaders of the churches in Jerusalem, you know, it's a whole massive effort and has nothing to do with Peter, except he's the guy that God chooses to unravel and drag him by the ear, you know, to Cornelius's house and show him what needs to happen. And they have, have a big meeting, they reflect on the scriptures, they talk about it. But basically, the Holy Spirit picked up the sort of the church in Jerusalem and dragged it kicking and screaming, screaming in, into the Gentile mission. And before Peter could hear this, he had to be unraveled. He couldn't just rest, hey, I'm an apostle trained by Jesus. Want to see my diploma? You know, I write scripture. You just read it. <laughs> so two things. One, one is... Um, the weakness of the messenger, not the sinfulness, but the weakness of the messenger. And you could camp there, you know, woe is me and, oh, well, you know. Or you can discover, as Peter did, the greatness of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's determined to fulfill the Great Commission. 
whether it's in Luke's form or Matthew's form or John's, you know, he's going to get us there um, if we'll allow him to unravel us, realign us, to get us back on track. And typically it's an impossible task. So this mixture of realism and, and confidence in God even before you, it's not a prosperity name it and claim it thing, but a conviction that this is the character and the mission of God and he will get it done and somehow we're drawn into that. Mm. So we better have the same horizon as him. You know, this gospel for the forgiveness of repentance and the forgiveness of sins is going to the nations the ethne, every people group, every place. If that's not our target, then expect some unraveling. So that's what I'm learning. Um, My weakness, God's greatness, the size of the task that he lays on every disciple. When you speak about what really kind of changed, started changing things for you um, was when you begin to to see this, this whole um, trans, not really transition, but this whole act when uh, when Jesus goes down and gets gets baptized, right, and yeah. and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and and he's driven into the wilderness. So, what exactly about that whole situation that was that kind of changing for you of, of seeing things in a little different light? Well, there's the mountaintop of the baptism experience. You know, we we find God in that place, especially His identity as a son power of the Holy Spirit, his, his baptism is pointing forward to the cross. You ask people, why did Jesus get baptized? Oh, he needed to be an example to us. Yeah, he did. Well, we need to follow his example. Um, but without him saying, I'm, I'm willing, you know, to, to die and, and rise again. So it's a real marker that this is who I am. And then the the wilderness experience is, is the test of everything that he is in that, that, that baptism experience and the affirmation of the Father, the surrender to be a be, an obedient son because he's overturning the damage that was done in the garden and he is fulfilling Israel's destiny as the son of God. Um, so he's obedient to his father's word, he's surrendered to the spirit, and he's real clear this mission is about laying down my life for the sins of the world. So these these are like, it's his identity. He, even the mission, we often say, oh, the mission's not part of my identity. That's what I do, you know. Well, try saying that to Jesus, laying down your life for the sins of the world, obeying the father's will, fulfilling your calling. You know, this is who you are. You 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 will do this because it's who you are. And this is tested in the wilderness that another perspective I just picked up recently was, you know, the spirit drives Jesus. In Mark's uh, words are, it's like he casts him into the wilderness. And it's as though he's picking a fight with the enemy. He's not just defensively, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, dealing with these attacks, um, he's driven there by the Spirit of God because <laughs> we're going to whoop this guy <laughs> and the enemy's got to withdraw um, because the more he drives Jesus 
um, the, the more he attacks Jesus, the more Jesus surrenders to his father's will. So what's the point? What's the enemy got on us if the more he grinds us into the dirt, the more in our weakness we surrender to our father regardless of the outcome? Well, the enemy's got to flee because it's <laughs> why would I keep wasting my time um, attacking yeah. this person? All they ever do is surrender to the Father in their weeks. This is the heart of a multiplying movements of disciples. None of all the strategy stuff we build on top of that, but this has got to be at the center. It's not like he stays contemplating in the wilderness for the next 40 years. I mean, he hits, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and he's casting out demons. He's preaching in the synagogue. You know, he's calling disciples. He's a man at war. But from that place of identity, um, and you sort of think, well, Lord, okay, the smart thing, Lord, would be knock Steve into shape and then he can go plant a church. I mean, Lord, why would you allow him to succeed and use all of his natural talents and his training and all the team and all of that, and then in the middle of year two decide to unravel the boy? Um, you know, it's not like stages. What Jesus establishes in the wilderness and at his baptism, he continues to build on that throughout the whole of his life. And the Lord, this is a great thing. You don't have to introspectively go, how can I be more surrendered? You know, it'll come to you, I promise. You know, you make sure you don't run from it. But it's not like you've got it, well, before I do this, I better be surrendered. I'll work up some surrender, you know. What you'll find is the Lord will bring it to you and he will rattle that, that cage. And you will choose whether to press into him when that happens. Because now is, there is a season and it doesn't last forever, you know. Um, so the whole of our lives, God's shaping who we are, our identity, character and spiritual formation, all of that. But he's also shaping our ministry and leadership skills, how we do stuff. So it's who and how. And both are important. Uh, think of the next surgeon that operates on one of your children. Do you want them to have character? Yes. What about if they're incompetent? <laughs> well, <laughs> do you want them to have skill? Yes. What about if they don't have any character <laughs> and their last three patients have died? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so God's shaping both character and competence towards a unique contribution over the whole course of our lives. You never stop learning this stuff, but there will be key times where the Lord presses in, and it might be around skills. You've got this job. Go plant the church, Steve. Just flat out do it, you know, and then there's a time in the midst of all that. Now let's just open up who you are because, Steve, this is going to take a couple of years, Steve, <laughs> because if I don't, you're a driven man, <laughs> you know. 
you're going to steamroll your, your your family, your 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 team, your your relationship with God, unless you learn your identity is not in results, and it's going to take two or three years of wilderness. Um, can I find the Lord in that place? Um, how we're seeing in movements, there is so much prayer, personally, mm. corporately, before, during, maintaining. Um, could you walk us through maybe a little yeah. bit of your experience with that? Or you- it's a strange mix of prayer and action. Mm-hmm. So it's never prayer as a retreat from engagement. You know, Jesus has his 40 days in the wilderness and then he hits the ground running. Um, You know, at key moments, he's intensely engaged in prayer. You know, before he chooses the 12th, he prays all night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know, if if you went through one of the Gospels, you'd see just how much it, and, and the gospel writers and Luke in Acts, they're not telling us every time Jesus and the disciples pray, because otherwise it's just the book keeps growing. But every now and again, they just say, look, Jesus, typically he's up early and after a busy night casting out demons and healing the sick in Capernaum, he rises early um, and he's at prayer. Um, but then he said, now we're going to this town and this town and this town. So it's always prayer and action. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm con- you never see a movement that is solely um, a movement of prayer. Yeah. Why don't we see that, Steve? Well, it's not what Jesus did. He's a man of action. He's a man of prayer. So he says to the disciples, you know, here's the job. Enter the earth. Right? How are we going to do that? Well, it'll be sorted. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Mm-hmm. And then for 10 days, um, God's people are gathered in prayer continually. Men, women, Mary, Jesus' brothers, a whole lot of people, whoever they could cram into this upper room. Uh, and so the church and the mission is born in a prayer meeting. Um, but the minute it's like, what we would do is the spirit falls, right, in Jerusalem, and then we're going to set up a TV channel and people can watch us pray and the spirit come 24-7. And, we're, and people will come to Jerusalem. We're all praying. We're in the auditorium. We're soaking, and it's 24-7 because that's we're here. We've got prayer. We've got the spirit. Well, how long does it take before? Out of the prayer, the spirit comes, they hit the streets. Mm-hmm. Would it be five minutes, 50 minutes? It's not long. And the word's going out. 3,000 people are being baptized. They're building, um, you know, communities of disciples all across the city and it's overflowing. And what are they doing? They're praying <laughs> as well as worshiping as well as caring for the poor, as well as the gospel getting out. So, and then, bang, they get hit with persecution in Chapter 4. Read the account of that prayer meeting. It's breathtaking. But, again, it's prayer in the midst of action and battle 
they're praying the house down because the word has got out and now the religious authorities are clamping down. And what do they pray for? They pray that they would proclaim the word of the Lord boldly. Yeah. And for Jesus, for that spiritual church in Acts, it's it's prayer and action the whole time, uh, not just bless me, Lord, um, about this dynamic word is going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Wherever it goes, there's going to be salvation, discipleship, communities of disciples learning to follow the Lord Jesus and looking for the next opportunity for this word to go. That's what's that's the interaction of prayer and, and a movement. Paul, Paul and Silas had a 24-7 prayer and praise time in the inner cell of a prison <laughs> in Philippi. So it's moving it from the auditorium and the focus on individual fulfillment into the harvest and finding, because this is what Jesus says in the Great Commission, you know, as you go, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, do this and I'll be there. So he's, that's, where's Jesus? He's in the the, the dark, dank, rat-infested prison cell mm. with Paul and Silas. So there's still that joy, that individual fulfillment, and, and um, because the Lord Jesus, this is where he would be. And he's with, you know, uh, the brothers in that cell. So it's not a joyless thing. Oh, I'm going to go and you know, share the gospel in Philippi or Florida. <laughs> so do you see the APEST playing a significant role in new movements or in uh, realignment of movements? Mm. been wrestling with this a bit in Acts, um, and it's interesting that those gifts pop up, not in a systematic way. Um, Luke is more focused on what God uh, through his dynamic word and the Holy Spirit is doing. And then he'll drop in, oh, by the way, you know, Agabus, the prophet, came and prophesied about the famine and they took up an offering and took that down to Jerusalem. Or, oh, Agabus turns up again with some prophets and they speak into Paul's life about whether he should go to Jerusalem. So his references to prophets and and uh you know, apart from the 12 to apostles or teachers or shepherds, um, they're incidental. You know, so in Acts 13, 1 to 4 or 3, um, you know, there's a group of prophets and teachers at Antioch and they're praying and the Spirit falls and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Now, Luke doesn't sort of explain, well, what were these prophets doing? What were these teachers doing? He just wants us to know that God's active invading their prayer and worship time Mm -hmm. to get the mission on the move again because that's where his focus is. Mm -hmm. So that says to me they're important because they appear in Scripture and in those those accounts in Luke. so they are gifts that the risen Lord gives to his church, and um, we need to understand them. They're not the main game. The risen Lord Jesus is the main game. 
the Holy Spirit, the Father's plan, and he'll use prophets and apostles and unnamed disciples spearheading the push into Antioch or Ananias who gets to baptize um, Paul. You know, he's just a disciple. He's not carrying the prophets, although he does prophesy, actually. (laughs) It's important that it says when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, all of God's people are able to prophesy, to proclaim the word of the Lord in power. And then there seem to be some people who are called prophets. So I just say here's here's the balance. The gifts are there. They have a role to play, an important one, as well as the gifts of local leadership. But at the same time, the APEST is not the main driver of the mission. Mm -hmm. It's the living God. Mm -hmm. And he can use apostles, prophets, and teachers, and he can use some unnamed disciples that we don't have a clue who they were who take the gospel up to Antioch and start the whole push uh, into the Gentile mission. So do you see um, a difference in movements that are more polycentric in their leadership versus um, where you have a more eclectic leadership versus, um, you know, <clears throat> movements that prefer to have one person leading the church type of thing? I think movements are polycentric. There's leadership popping up all over the place. Um, my own conviction is I don't think prophets, evangelists, and uh, apostles rule the local church. They have a role of influence. They're translocal often, but it's, you know, read Acts 20, it's, it's or wherever, is it Acts 13, 49, where, you know, Paul and Barnabas are circling back and they're appointing local leaders who they call elders. Um, In Acts 20, they're also called overseers or shepherds, okay? Overseers, bishop, shepherd is pastor. It's the same, you know, a plurality of elders over local churches, not some charismatic bishop that calls himself an apostle. But then Paul has the authority of the gospel to circle back and to check on the life. He doesn't have any formal authority except I'm your father. Here I am, you know. I don't think the apostles and prophets are meant to rule in the local church, but they're meant to lead. And then I think leadership can come because the spirit of God has come on sons and daughters, young and old, rich and poor, slave and free. They all have the spirit. So if God just grabs this bunch of people and throws them up into Antioch, we might say, oh, we've got a church up here. We better send Barnabas out up to check it out. And the apostles are running to keep up with what the Spirit's doing through ordinary people. Mm. Same thing happens in Philip's mission to Samaria. You know, who sent Philip down to do the Spirit of God provoked, uh, allowed persecution to rise up. Philip's down there. Oh, we've got a movement. <laughs> Philip the Evangelist. Well, who authorized that? Well, he doesn't need authorization. He has the Holy Spirit and the Word. And so now Peter and John come not to correct Philip or control the churches in Samaria, but to strengthen and extend the mission. Okay, so that's. 
that's my, I think that's the pattern I see. In, so, especially, I'm, I spend a lot of time in X lately. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you would say that like um, each local expression doesn't need to have all five giftings present. If you got an apostle hanging out with a local expression church, you'd say, what are you doing here? <laughs> you, know, like, you know, we have some elders. We're okay, help us reach not just Ephesus, but the whole of Asia Minor. That's what an apostle does. You know, Western Turkey. Um, or you think, well, Peter was based, based in Jerusalem. But you, you have a look in Acts uh, somewhere. <laughs> um, he's on the road touring around the country. And I think by that it probably means from 931, um, Galilee, Samaria, Judea. And you see how he does. He doesn't just go down to see what Philip's doing, but he and John now, they're evangelizing uh, throughout the towns and villages of Samaria. That's what apostles do. They might have a base that they return to, but he's also developing local leaders under uh, James, the Lord's brother, um, elders to lead in Jerusalem. By 42, he's gone. But he's probably already handed over before then to James and the elders because apostles aren't meant to stay put in one church. No, you know, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying if you've got an apostle in your church who's not in the harvest, taking others with him, um, reaching lost people, gathering them into disciple-making communities, strengthening those communities, multiplying workers in the heart. So they might be based at your church, but this is a city of 5 million in Melbourne. So mm -hmm. that's what an apostle does, okay? Mm -hmm. If an apostle thinks I'm just this local church guy, it's like that doesn't comprehend. Mm -hmm. Sorry if any of you... <laughs> Muscles. <laughs> no, I'm not actually. Get off your backside and get into the, the battle. <laughs> Everybody is called to make disciples. Amen. And that doesn't mean just evangelism, it's a whole process. And to be a part of this great missionary plan of God that's going to every people group. We all have our part to play. So Make sure you know the mission is not my gift. The mission is that. Now, what? where do I find joy and fruitfulness as I pursue what Jesus is on about? Well, that's your gift. It's nice to know. Biggest maybe hindrances culturally to movements that you've seen as far as or obstacles, rather? Uh, I think the, the biggest barrier in the Western world is prosperity. I'm a cheery fellow. <laughs> God is going to shake the West. Um, now, he's going to shake China at some point in their history um, because he tears down the obstacles. He brings down the proud in history, not just at the end of history. And, you know, I'm not in one sense surprised by the virus. I'm not surprised by the saber rattling of China over Taiwan or Russia with Ukraine. It's seen, you know, I'm not surprised by the Arab Spring became the Arab winter. And now we've never seen so many movements amongst Muslim background people in 1400 years. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and you sort of think, oh, well, it's easy there. No, it wasn't easy about <laughs> a generation ago. It was like 15 years we got one convert, you know. Well, there are now the beginnings of movements right throughout. I mean, places like Iran and the Kurds or what, in ways that, you know, so God has shaken them. And you sort of think, well, yeah, but it's easy in North India or Nepal where some of the guys up there reckon about one in three people we talk to is ready to turn and believe. Hmm. Um, you think, so there's a million believers now in Nepal. Well, there there was a ha- there was a few hundred believers there when I was back in the 70s, you know. Um, so how does God work? It's a bit of a mystery. And at the moment, let's face it, it's tough in the Western world. Um, we all know it's easy in America, but it's tough in the rest of the Western world. Um, so there's something we can't control. But instead of saying in our minds it's a sociological reality that we can't control, I prefer to say um, it's the sovereignty and plan of God which we can't control. In other words, at any moment in history, he can totally change the equation. So, well, Steve, why doesn't he do that now? Well, I'm not God. You can ask him or read read the scripture, read the prophets. So, but what do you do then if you can't control sociological issues or prosperity or the economy or God? What do you do? You do what's right. You don't just do this stuff because it works. Yeah. You do it because it's right. You know, Jesus went into the world of lost people, sharing, proclaiming the gospel, praying for needs, um, making disciples, building communities of disciples wherever he went. He did that. He, the risen Lord continues to do that in the book of Acts, okay? So it's right. It's right. So do it. But when, if you're doing what's right, when God changes the equation, guess who's in the box seat? Ah, we know what to do. Uh, or when God shifts you from Florida to some refugee camp in, 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 in Lesbos, Greece, and all of a sudden you do have responsive people or, north, north, you know, Assam in the north of India. So you've done your apprenticeship and now you're ready to help help fuel a movement in a receptive field. So do what's right, you know, talk to people who are doing this stuff. Then what do we do about the traditional church? Well, you could get on Facebook and your blog and you could spend the rest of your life bagging it. (laughs) Because that makes you feel so much better. (laughs) You now have a cause. (laughs) You know, you can now channel some energy into something. Have a look at the case study God's given us in the Gospels and in Acts of how does the movement, Jesus as a movement founder, and then the ongoing work of the Lord Jesus in Acts, how does the movement relate to the institution? And there's this weird uh, extremes all thrown together. 
I mean, Jesus goes to meals with Pharisees and he tells stories like the prodigal son. The prodigal, the, the high point of that story or the point of that story, there's a sub-point about the prodigal, but the real point is the older brother. He's the Pharisee. And Jesus is saying, you know, it ends without an ending. The father is outside urging the son to come in and enjoy the party. And that's Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees. This is what I want you to, and in Acts, some of them do turn and believe. There, there are priests and Pharisees. Uh, not many, I don't think any of the Sadducees did because that's another story. But the Pharisees turned, um, some of them. So he's engaged on his own terms. He's also upsetting them, and, and some of them are planning to kill him. So here's this funny, but his mission isn't to, to change the institution. His mission is to call out a remnant from historic Israel who will be the nucleus of this new movement. They're actually true Israel. The new thing that God's doing is coming out of the old, but as a restored remnant. And this is a solid teaching in the prophets. It's also what Jesus did. So there is a time, though, where Jesus says the time will come. Unless you, unless you change, judgment's coming. Mm. And judgment came in 70 A.D., they, 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 they flattened Jerusalem and the temple and everyone was killed or went off into exile and slavery. Jesus is warning them, saying, turn. And in Acts, they're still, war- they're, they're still preaching to Jerusalem, saying, you crucify, you know. So, but he's not getting bogged down in the institution. He's calling out a remnant that he actually fulfills the destiny of Israel and he's pursuing the mission. Along the way, he's still on speaking terms with some Pharisees. So that's just my quick synopsis, but read the Gospels and Acts and keep up with this institution thing. How, how did Jesus handle that? And how does he stay on target without trying to fix the institution? Um, what what books have you read on this topic of, of disciple making, gospel movement, church multiplication that's either been a, a big influence to you um, in your own work or or you just what, books that you would recommend to guys like us who are in different places, different phases? Um, I'd say higher priority would be. Have you done some training yeah. about coalface work? going into your community, however you're going to do it, finding people from far from God, taking others with you and training just like Jesus did and continue to do in Acts through the disciples. So make sure you've, you've got skin in the game. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, so doing some training, and I, I know there's some some great alternatives out there, and I think Logan can put you in touch if you don't know the No Place Left guys. Yeah. Um, but then, okay, we're doing that, Steve, uh, but we want to keep learning. Um, I'd still be tempted to to take, say, 
Luke and Acts and work through it half chapter at a time um, just and I can send on, you know, there's a worksheet we use on the four fields of, of how Jesus engaged, how he fueled movements so that your, your learning um, from the scriptures, the important thing is to be engaged yourself and helping others step up who are ready for this yeah. and then to stay in touch with other practitioners and, and learn from one another and support one another. Well, brother, I appreciate that challenge to, to go beyond just talking about it and actually go out and, and like you said, put skin in the game. I think that's, I think you're spot on there. So thank you so much. And I appreciate your time. We're just happy. Well, thanks for listening. You can find out more about the rise and fall of movements at movements.net. And if you're enjoying the, uh, the podcast, please spread the word. This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.